Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Deep left into the bleachers, a two-run homer. A swing and a miss, ball game. Lift off. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Ryan, uh, I know it was a late night for you last night with that Wednesday win, but how are you? How are you doing this morning? Better with coffee. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. What's your go-to like coffee? What do you What do you typically uh, drink in the mornings? Uh, whatever K cup is kind of laying out. My my wife's a big coffee drinker. I, I use it occasionally. I don't even know. I think it's a like a cinnamon dolce. Yeah. Type yeah. Situation here. Nice little flavoring. I have a Starbucks in my apartment building, so yeah, that's like the most. It it was definitely a factor in choosing to live where I live um, as a big coffee drinker. But I'm all about the shaken espresso these days. Just give me that jolt. Um, the most important thing here. So. Besides coffee, things to give us a jolt if you are a Cleveland baseball fan. Uh, Cleveland has won eight of its last ten games, so that's pretty cool. Um, if you watched on Wednesday night, you know they were down four to nothing going into the sixth inning last night um, and ended up coming back to win. So let's start with Josh Naylor, who you've written a lot about this week, and he's been having quite – Quite a week here so far. He's now hit two homers in three days. He hit, hit the score-tying shot in Wednesday's win. Um, he's already been hitting leading into Wednesday's game against the Royals. He was batting 316 with a 929 OPS in the week's worth of games entering that game. So just what what have you been hearing from him? I know he's talked to you guys a handful of times uh, this week, given the um, homer slump he's gotten himself out of. So just what's what's gone into this last week of production for him, do you think? You know, he he said last night, making adjustments in this game isn't anything new. It's it's you know, it's it's not like you can go several weeks or, or months without really looking at things, but you know, he has focused on his his pitch selection. Uh, you know, he, he acknowledged last night that, you know, for the first couple of weeks of the season and really most of the first month of the season, you know, he was he was swinging at pitches that you know he just he wasn't going to be able to handle anyway, and he was giving pitchers free strikes. Um, it, it, it was putting him behind in the count. It was allowing pitchers to kind of dictate, you know, what they wanted to throw, just, just to a, a little bit of a of a slightly, uh, you know, larger degree. Than a hitter who is putting himself in a in a better position, and he still has the highest chase percentage um, right. of any season in his career so far. But that number has started to come down, like actually relatively quickly, considering you know the the small sample size over the last few days. 
Um, so he seems to not be chasing pitches anymore. And that's, that's kind of been one of the, the bigger differences between Josh Naylor of the last few days or week and Josh Naylor of the first, say, like three weeks of the season. And, you know, he, that's, that's, that's a, a key part to this lineup because Jose Ramirez and, and Fernando Reyes, those are guys who can carry a lineup for at least a, a, a stretch of time. Right. Like, over a 162 game season, like that's just, that's never going to be sustainable. You're never going to be able to count on that, um, you know, as, as much as you'd like. And th- this lineup finding ways to, to kind of lengthen out a little bit is, is a, a major key for this team, you know, keeping pace with, you know, Kansas City and Chicago. And if, if Minnesota can, can stop losing extra inning games and, and, and 100 games, they'll, they'll, they'll join that too. But Naylor in that, in that sixth spot, that's, that's, that's a key spot in that lineup. And, um, you know, that the major difference has been that he's, he's, he's had some better pitch selection and, you know, he was pumped that he got his first home run Monday night. He went crazy, chucked his helmet down, down the tunnel. The, the dugout went nuts. Jake Bowers kind of did the same thing. And then, then last night, Naylor comes out with another huge home run and he was, he was jokingly upset because friend Emil took his helmet. He wouldn't let him throw it. He, he, he wanted to. So that was, that was the only bad. The, the only downside to his home run is that he didn't get to chug his helmet the, in, the, in the Royals visiting dugout. Yeah, and to, to talk about the chase percentage here for a second, you know, after on Monday, his chase percentage you had written was at 35.6 percent, um, up from 27.5 percent last season, um, and then after last night he's at 34.4 percent, so it already dropped like a full percentage point <laughs> in just three days. So he really, he really is putting a dent in that. But obviously, still like you talked about, he's um, this season compared to last season, he's been chasing more often and, and making contact less often, essentially. Yeah, and he, you know, last regular season was was rough for him, right. um, and then he just went berserk for about like twenty eight or twenty nine or thirty hours against the Yankees in that postseason series, where had really <laughs> pretty much the best statistical start for um, for a player in his first few postseason games in baseball history. He, he just drilled everything, and you know. He's, this the the start of this season was kind of mirrored last regular season where he just, just it, it it just wasn't coming around and he he wasn't putting himself in good spots and over last week you know hitting hitting over 300 with an OPS over 900 you know that's that that's going to do it and you know Naylor uh Cesar Hernandez uh coming around a bit would be a a big boost to this lineup um and then a, a couple guys at at the bottom of the lineup you know and and if you can have a couple of guys step up just a little bit, you know, it, it does like lengthen out this lineup. And that's one of the key things, um, you know, that this team really needs this season. And, and Josh Naylor's a, a big part of that. But, you know, if all of a sudden this team is, you know, they, they've won four in a row. Um, they've been wrecking up come from behind wins, which Tito right. said tonight is like not a blueprint that they'd like to have to repeat. That is a little bit tougher. But this team's been playing well, and and and, and Josh Naylor's a, a a pretty big part of that. And if he can, uh, you know, cause sustain anywhere, you know, something close to this, um, you know, all of a sudden you have you you have an option in, in right field and first base that is more about you know production and track record and not just you know potential and, and long term club control and uh, a, a possible option, um, which is exactly what they've kind of been hoping for. And, you know, another guy at the plate, obviously, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about is Jose Ramirez. So um, 
a trend that has carried over from last season, especially it seems like, is his production late in games. Like he always seems in these come from behind wins to to make a big play right at the right time, right? So entering Wednesday's game, he had an OPS of um, 8.95 in innings one through three. That dropped to slightly to 8.60 in innings four through six, but then it jumps up to 1.097 in innings seven through nine, um, and he's hit four home runs and seven RBIs. And again, that was entering Wednesday, um, so that was before his go-ahead solo home run in the ninth inning um, that ended up, you know, giving Cleveland that fourth consecutive win there. So, just what has he talked about in terms of? Uh, I know he's pretty a pretty straightforward guy, but in terms of his production later in these games, like, is it a trend? Does he just chalk it up to, you know, it is what it is, like not really thinking too much about it. I kind of liked his answer. Um, He he basically said, well, you can't, you can't win the game in in the early innings. And so there's a, he he mentioned a sort of a, of a concentration difference because, you know, you can win the game later on. So if Cleveland could just, at, at least at home, where they can control the scoreboard, you know, if they could put up on the scoreboard in the first inning that it's actually the ninth inning and, the, and, and, and they're down one, he'll win the MVP award. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, he's just been absolutely exactly what they've needed in so many different cases later on in games. Um, and this has gone back to, you know, like you mentioned, his his streak at, at the end of last season when he propelled himself into the MVP conversation and he just repeatedly came through. Now, last season he was so just on such a torrid pace that that was a stretch where it didn't matter what inning it was. He 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 had everything at at the end of last season. And then this year he's been, he's been solid, but um, you know, as as they've been racking up come from behind wins. I think it's like 11 and 29 games now. Uh, you know, he's been the biggest part of that where he, he's yeah. come through and, um, you know, a lot of his production has really counted there. You know, there, there are many, uh, there are many empty calories with his stat line right now. Right. And, you know, if they could just change the scoreboard, he'll, he'll finally, you know, he'll, he'll break this streak of being an, an MVP finalist and he'll join, you know, Buxton and Trout as, you know, one of the favorites this year. Cause he's, he's yeah. right too. you know, if, if not for Trout and Buxton, we'd be talking about possibly right. how Ramirez is, you know, either on pace or right there um, to win his first net MVP. Those two guys have been just insanely hot to start yeah. the season. Oh, yeah. It's that's what's so, you know, crazy is like looking at last year, looking at this year, it's like he's doing so well, but it's like ultimately if things keep trending the way they are, it's like, well, how many people are actually gonna vote for him? And it's kind of just such a always a bridesmaid, never the bride, like kind of scenario, right? <laughs> he he might have his best season, you know, if Yeah. You know, there's obviously a long way to go. There's right. you know, we're we're one we're one month at, but you know, he could end up having his his best season and, and still finish third if if Trout and Bucks can keep this up. Because they've just been otherworldly um so far. Which I'm sure he's just watching that like, all right, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Right. Right. So speaking of scoreboards, let's let's get into the, the Angel Hernandez of it all. Because the only certain things in this life are death taxes and Angel Hernandez making headlines. So let's start last night with last night and work backwards. Um, Cleveland, not necessarily as impacted last, you know, by the calls on Wednesday where Angel Hernandez ejected three from the Royals dugout, uh, manager Mike Matheny, pitching coach Cal Eldred, and starter Brady Singer um, in the sixth inning. Um, 
the tempers flared after Brady Singer was called for a balk on Wednesday, and they were also pretty mad over um, Jose getting that hit-by-pitch call, which was obviously held up on review. Um, so that was the drama on Wednesday night. Um, Tuesday night, though. Let's talk about the missed call because of being blinded by the scoreboard, which is an excuse I would like to use without context in my everyday life going forward. Like, it just is, it's chaos. Like, that, that's the most insane excuse I've ever heard for the missed call. Um, to go back through it, I'm going to, you wrote about it so nicely. Um, I kind of just copy and pasted here, and I'm going to try to verbalize it. So if you need a refresher, in the third inning on Tuesday night, Salvador Perez was at the plate, Whit Merrifield was on third, Andrew Benintendi on second. Um, Perez hits a ball to right center field. It drops between Harold Ramirez and Naylor in, on the warning track. Naylor quickly picks the ball up, throws it to the infield. Merrifield scores, but then there was confusion and chaos because Hernandez thought that Naylor caught it and called, you know, for the out here. Benintendi had gone back to second to tag up because that's what the third base coach was telling him. Got caught between second and third. There was a short rundown. He was tagged out. Um, It appeared as though the Royals had run into an easy out, though, but then Angel Hernandez gives him says, I believe the call, gives him third base. Just a very, very strange, strange situation. <laughs> it, it, it was so bizarre. And, uh, um, man. It, it just, like, what is there to say about Angel Hernandez? At this I, I know. All uh, I don't know. Everybody yells at him all the time. It's, it's, I know. I know. And that, that's basically what, what Tito said that he told him. And, and he said, well, why is this always happening when you're here? Like, why does this always seem to happen? That that call was interesting. It was it was really interesting um, to see him and uh, talk about Angel to see him tell the pool reporter that he just guessed basically. Yes, that's insane. And and gave the alcohol instead of just kind of letting it play out. It's just so bizarre, and it it ended up not really costing Cleveland. Right. Aside from Sam Hatch just having to work a little bit to get out of the inning. But wow, just to, to to guess on that is just really interesting. And then, you know, last night he he actually got the balk call wrong on Brady Singer. Like that, I mean that that was the right call. And, and Tito said, had he not called it, Tito would have been thrown out. Um, right. But you know, it 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 wasn't just those calls. I, I I think some some secondary frustration had built up, and that was just kind of the the last straw that kind of set people off. But yeah. Not a good week for Angel Hernandez, but you know if you're like if you're trending on Twitter as an umpire, I was gonna say he's the only umpire I can think of that pretty consistently trends on Twitter, like every season without fail. It doesn't like, matter. Like Joe West is probably definitely second, but I don't. He's yeah. not. I don't think trending as often as Angel Hernandez is. Right. Like I would say, I would think casual baseball fans know the name Angel Hernandez at this point. Like, and is that, you know, watching the broadcast last night, I think at one point they're even stopping to to talk about him and it and everything that's transpired over the last two days. So it just is that old adage, you know, as, as journalists, like never wanting to become part of the story. It's kind of the same thing for umpires. Like you never want to be in the headlines. And this is a guy who does it pretty, pretty consistently. For someone who doesn't, like directly tweet about everything and trend that way. He has great Twitter engagement. Right, right. He should. It's just on 
you should get an account if he doesn't have one. You know, another kind of transitioning away from the the Angel Hernandez of it all, even though I feel like I could talk about this for for hours, quite honestly. Um, let's go back to Tuesday. The 7-3 win over Kansas City. Um, Jake Bowers hit his first home run of the year, um, a 424-foot shot. Um, entering the game, he was hitting that game. He was hitting 182 um, and 44 at-bats, and he had no home runs, obviously. Obviously, we've talked so much about this cloud of Bobby Bradley hanging over him, essentially. Um, and obviously with the minor league season, we'll, we'll see how that progresses. Um, we talked about him mimicking Josh Naylor's celebration from the night before. Um, but I know you wrote about this and I know we've talked so much about Bowers and, um, what he kind of brings, but what are some of these stats that show that maybe his production obviously hasn't been what anyone wants, including himself, but why his season so far at the plate maybe hasn't been as bad as is evidenced in, you know, things like his average and things like that. Yeah. Some people reached out on Twitter and I, I get occasional emails from people kind of asking to explain. The yeah. And that's great. Um, you know, I think we try to kind of balance traditional and some of these, um, more analytical ways to kind of look at the game. And, you know, one way I was talking with Mike Chernoff, like, God, like six years ago now. And, you know, we kind of talked about the one way to kind of look at it is almost like a blueprint where you have, you know, the traditional statistics, which can include average RBI home runs, stuff like that. Then you have sabermetric side, the analytical side, however you want to say it, um, which might be, Wins above replacement, uh, wins probability added, uh, WOBA, which is weighted on base average. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. WRC plus, which is, uh, weighted runs created plus things like that. And then you have maybe what, you know, scouts are seeing and kind of that more traditional eye test type deal. If you layer all three of those things on top of each other, it's just an effort to get a more complete picture of either that player and what's going on, or maybe if you're trying to be predictive. Um, and certain stats are not meant to be predictive. Some are just kind of a, a reflective. But if you layer everything on, it's just an effort to have a more complete picture, a more accurate picture. Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot of these things, like, you know, if we talk about uh, differences in how teams bunt compared to, you know, 20 years ago, if we talk about how teams are shifting defensively compared to how they did 20 years ago, the idea isn't necessarily to be right 100% of the time. You know, it's not like it only works 80% of the time or 60% of the time that it doesn't work. The idea is just to be a couple of percentage points better over the course of the 162 games, where if, if you can increase your you know, chance of winning tonight, from 50% to 52%, that's that's not a big difference, um, you know, just looking at that. But over the course of a 162-game season, that may result in a few extra wins. And that may be the difference between sitting at home or being in the postseason. And you're not having to spend extra money. You're not, you're not having to go out and acquire talent. It's just a better, more efficient use of, of the resources that you already have. So in terms of like, like, uh, uh, WOBA, which is weighted on base average, basically it's like a better version of slugging percentage. It's like the really watered down version of it where a single, um, you know, isn't worth as much as a double to an offense. And so that's what it, it's it, it's kind of looking to measure. And then you have expected, 
WOBA, which is based on quality of contact, based on how hard you've hit the ball, distance, things like that. There are a bunch of different factors, but basically quality of contact. And on average, looking at all the data that we have over the last few years, several years, based on that quality of contact for this sample size and, 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 and all those things, all, the, all these different factors that go into it, what should you probably have expected? Um, so it's not meant to be like an exact science, but it's just meant to be, here's what you probably should have seen in terms of results. And Jake Bowers is in, or has been in the top 10 in baseball in terms of a negative difference between what he's, the, the results that he's had and the results that he probably should have expected, meaning he probably should have expected better results than what he's had. So the point in pointing all of this out isn't to say that everything's fine with Jake Powers and he's going he's gonna to win the first base job and, and he's actually been great. The point is just to say that looking at his average or his OPS, those things would indicate that he hasn't actually performed quite that bad. It hasn't been that bad. And it's just an effort to kind of add some context and, and have a more accurate representation of what's actually happened. Um, and maybe um, how it might affect, you know, a, a roster move or a timing of a roster move. You know, if you have if you have two hitters and through the first month of the season, they have the exact same average and the exact same OPS. But hitter A uh, is, near, is near the bottom of the league in terms of exit velocity and hard hit percentage and on all, all these other things. He's, he's just he's not hitting the ball hard. He's not making contact very much. Things like that. Hitter B, same average, same OPS, same, you know, traditional results. But he's hitting everything hard. Um, he, he, he's he's having a, a better approach at the plate. He's hitting line drives. Uh, his, his exit velocity is near the top of the league, maybe. He's just not being rewarded for it. You know, you may give the nod or maybe some more at-bats to hit or be in that situation because, um, you know, th- those things, they, they just they tend to regress to the mean. They, they tend to kind of correct themselves when they're, they're out of whack like that. In general, they don't always. There are guys who who tend to beat these things all the time, where the traditional stats might say, you know, this this guy shouldn't have been quite this good, and routinely they just kind of t- tend to beat it. So it's not an exact science. It's not meant to be either. Um, it's just meant to be a little more representative of, of of really what's going on. So and and you know, with Jake Bowers, you know, his expected average is quite a bit higher. His expected slugging percentage is quite a bit higher than, than than what he's had. So that may afford him some time. That may be an indicator, you know, that he may be a little bit closer to kind of finding what he needs to find than what his traditional numbers would indicate. Doesn't mean he's gonna find it. Yeah. Doesn't mean that Bobby Bradley or you know, just to be thorough, Cleveland could call up could call up an an outfielder uh, like you know perhaps Daniel Johnson and just move Naylor to first base as well. So you know there are quite a bit of, of options, and and also Nolan Jones is sitting there too. You know, it doesn't mean that he's going to figure it out just because you know he has these stats that indicate that he's been a little bit better than what his traditional line would show. Um, but it does mean that he's been making some 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 better contact. Um, you know, he, and he's been doing some things just a little bit better than what it might appear. Um, so, you know, that's hopefully that, you know, hopefully it's been clear in print. Hopefully it's been clear on Twitter. And then, then now on this podcast, just about what these numbers might kind of represent. Right. Hopefully it's put within context because, you know, if you tell someone that hitter X had a 6.8 at war last season, well, if you don't know what that really means or put it into context that, you know, it was 
this amount of war shy of the guy who won the, the MVP or, or, or whatever, then it doesn't really mean anything. So hopefully there's enough context to kind of show that. But with Jake Bowers, it, it's, it's just trying to say that he's been a little bit better than what his stat line has showed, although with his stat line, that was a very low bar to clear. So it doesn't, you know, absolve all the issues, but it does show that, um, you know, things may not have been quite as abysmal as this stat line has shown. And so, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen if he can kind of continue that trend and, and, and continue to, to kind of turn things around. Yeah. You know, for me, it's always like with these numbers, like you look at the sabermetric type numbers versus the traditional versus the eye test. It's like none of this stuff exists in a vacuum. Like there's no wrong or right way to do it. Like this is why, you know, people in front offices and all that stuff are, you know, paid what they're paid and have the jobs that they do because you have to look at this almost like on a case by case scenario. There's a lot of gray area. Um, and to me, it's like there's not an easy solution because if there was, then every team would be successful and there would always be easy answers on who to call up and send down and things like that. So, um, I, I've always looked at it as, you know, it gives you these, especially with the sabermetric type stats, they give you more context maybe in a lot of situations. But like you said, it's not a, not a definitive answer one way or the other, but um, certainly an, an extra tool in the toolbox, I guess. Yeah. You know, and, and if someone says, well, you know, why don't you just use average and RBI and, and pitcher wins and, and stuff like that? One of the reasons that I think it's important to use these stats and at least a little bit, um, and at least to explain them a little bit is, and, and it, it's because, you know, teams are using these types of numbers, you know, th- this, this level of analytics, you know, teams are using these things to make some decisions and it's, they're not basing everything on these decisions, but it's a part of the decision-making process. Kind of like, you know, the blueprint, you know, kind of reference. It, it's, it's just one piece to the puzzle and it's hopefully teams hope it's just something that, that should add to your perspective of this player. Um, should this team sign this player? Should this team sign this player long term? Should they, should they go after, you know, this other guy? It's, it's just an effort to be a little more, just a little more accurate than the other 29 teams. And it, it's kind of that constant race to kind of get out, uh, out in front of everybody else. Um, but if, if teams are going to use these types of numbers in their decision-making process, I think it's crucial for reporters um, and, and, and writers to at least use these numbers as well and, and, and to understand them. And, you know, one example is, you know, Dan Otero is, I don't know why that's the example that came to mind because there are plenty, but Dan Otero came to Cleveland because of, of his analytical profile, not his traditional stat line profile, where the year before he came to Cleveland, he, uh, he got shelled. But, there were he had quite a few things that indicated that he was much better than what those numbers indicated. So he he, he was brought to Cleveland. He had a couple of, of nice seasons, a couple of of uh, uh, strong years that um, you know indicated a pretty good you know return on investment. And that was because Cleveland felt that his peripheral numbers were better than his traditional numbers, and that that would even out. And they did. So it's just examples like that, and that's why I think it's really important that you know these, these numbers are used because if teams are going to base them. Based some not based some decisions because I, I don't get that impression, but if they're going to use these decision these numbers in decisions, mm-hmm. and it's important to also kind of you know add that context in in our reporting. So that's kind of the thought process behind that. So hopefully over time these will continue to kind of be you know second nature, and you know we'll continue to add some context for them. Let's quickly kind of transition to to the mound here. Um, 
I personally am running out of things to say about Shane Bieber, it seems like, but we kind of got to give the weekly, the weekly rundown of what he did this week. So, um, and I know you wrote about this. He obviously didn't have his best stuff on Wednesday against the Royals when he got it, got the start there. Um, didn't help that the defense committed three errors behind him. So, um, that was that, but he still struck out nine in his sixth inning. So he's now gone 19 straight starts with eight or more strikeouts. Um, the previous start on Friday night in a 5-3 win against the White Sox, he officially took down Randy Johnson's all-time MLB record by, you know, striking out eight-plus batters and 18 consecutive starts. So, um, yeah, kind of to peri- per- <laughs> paraphrase Terry Francona here after his start against Giolito a few weeks ago, like – pick an adjective, attribute it to me, it applies. Like, you know, what else is there to say at this point, at this stage, I guess? Yeah, and, you know, he did labor a little bit last night, and yeah. the defense also committed three errors. And, you know, so Bieber was not helped. He, he had to work a little bit extra there. But, you know, kind of along the lines that we've talked about, you know, his big thing last night, Shane's big thing last night was – you know, getting to come out for that sixth inning and throwing that clean sixth inning where he also struck out two guys, so he got over eight strikeouts to continue the streak, which is also a key thing. But, you know, as we've talked about, his goal this year has been to pitch deeper into games. And that's that's going to be a, a common theme. You know, for 60 games last season, Shane Bieber was the best pitcher on the planet. But he came into this season with some goals still and you know, with some things to prove. And one of those main things is that he can pitch deeper into games and kind of be a closer resemblance of some other aces around the league where he's not just putting up these strikeout numbers and these kind of, you know, gaudy numbers, um, that he's also lowering the burden on the bullpen. And, and he's also kind of, kind of just take shouldering on some of that responsibility to pitch deeper into the game. So that was a big thing for him, that getting to come out for the sixth inning, firing that clean, clean inning, which then led to Shaw, uh, which then led to Nick Wickren, who, by the way, um, you know, c- congrats to him for the baby boy that they had. But also, that was by far Nick Wickren's best inning of, of the season, which would also be something that, that would help this bullpen. Um, and then uh, James Kernchak shut it down in the ninth, you know, Shane Bieber, just the, the, the strikeout numbers that he's putting up, I think he has the third most strikeouts through this many starts um, out of any pitcher in baseball history. And, again, the names around him, it's like peak era Pedro, Randy Johnson, and it's Nolan Ryan. I mean, the the things that, that he's doing right now and at, at his age, um, it's just it, it's borderline ridiculous from a statistical standpoint. Um, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure the team is doing everything – I. I I'm sure they wish that he would like spend his off days in bubble wrap. Um, just to, just to not, don't go near any sharp edges, don't do anything. Cause what he's done, um, you know, has, has really allowed them to trade the guys that they've traded from this rotation. Yeah. And, you know, he's on, on a night that he had to really labor and he clearly did not have his command. You know, he still put up a respectable start. He still struck out nine guys and Cleveland still got the win. And if, you know, if they're, if they're winning games on nights that Bieber doesn't have his best stuff, which it is going to happen, um, you know, that, that'll put them in, in a pretty good spot. And now they're tied for first, um, roughly a month into the season. And, you know, I think going back a couple of weeks, you know, they would definitely kind of, you know, take that deal. If you told them they'd be tied for first on May 6th. So mm-hmm. they, 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 they definitely would have taken that. Right. 
And to quickly, quickly touch on the bullpen here, I know we've gone kind of long, but um, I want to talk about Brian Shaw so far because obviously last time he was in in Cleveland, he was kind of the became the fan favorite punching bag on Twitter, I would say. Um, but his velocities are up across the board. His cutter has more horizontal movement, which you've written about. His curveball has more vertical movement. Um, so overall, just really, really, really good stuff from him so far. I guess just what talk a little bit about how he's been able to make those improvements, especially, you know, now being a few years older, I don't know how many people were expecting this kind of performance from him, at least fan wise, you know? Yeah. It's kind of interesting to look at Brian Shaw's case. Cause you go back to Cleveland's bullpen several years ago when it was for so long, it was Brian Shaw in a high leverage situation. And then Cody Allen, mm-hmm. and he added Andrew Miller to the mix when Andrew Miller was, one of the most unhittable pitchers in baseball for a stretch. And it's kind of been interesting to see all three of those guys pretty quickly, either right at the end of their time in Cleveland or right after, uh, really struggled. Um, you know, and, and, and Cody Allen retired. Cody Allen just, you know, kind of lost it and just, and, and just could not get, get it back. And so he's out of the game. Andrew Miller's been really struggling. Really for a while now, but I know he's, he's not throwing the ball like he was, but Brian Shaw was not having any of that and just completely revamped everything. He worked very closely, uh, with the, uh, Mariners pitching coordinator. He worked during his time in Colorado as well. And he's just, he's adjusted almost everything. He's altered almost everything. And kind of like you said, you know, his cutter is sharper. Uh, there's more velocity. There's more, horizontal movement. He doesn't throw his curveball very often, but that's had a lot more vertical movement. So when he does throw it, it's more effective. He's thrown a changeup, which he I, he's kind of done in the past a, a little bit, but you know maybe he's, he's, he's starting to pepper that in a little bit more so that it's a little bit more of something that hitters have to think about. But everything's been sharper, and he's been one of the, not best, but one of the better relievers in baseball so far. Um, you know, we... You know, we thought heading into the season that a lot of the high leverage situations would be handled by Clause, Karinchak, and Wickren, and that's kind of been Clause, Karinchak, and Shaw so far. But everything's been sharper. And you know, going back to his time in Cleveland, I think there was a stretch. I want to say it was it was 17, but it it it, it may have been 2016. But he had a stretch where he went like a couple of weeks without allowing uh, any earned runs, and then he got kind of shelled one night for like three or four, and then he went several, like two or three weeks without allowing another earned run, and then. He may have given up like a, a, a grand slam or it was like another four run inning. And he kind of had this streak where he was rock solid for two or three weeks. And then he kind of had a, a, a blow up night. Mm-hmm. Those are really memorable along the same lines as I guess maybe in that, like if you're not in the, if you're not in the headline, it as much as it might be a good thing, especially for a middle reliever, at least. Right. Right. Or, Shaw has these blow up moments. Um, you know, that's going to be more memorable than the two weeks of, you know, sixth or seventh or, or maybe even eighth innings because, you know, the, the ninth is kind of the inning that just tends to get the spotlight. But Brian Shaw was one of the more reliable relievers in the game for a couple of years, at least statistically. And I think even not statistically, it was just a matter of he had these memorable blow-ups that, that, that kind of stuck with some people. 
but this Brian Shaw is a different Brian Shaw than the one that was here. And this one's been better than the one that was here as well. Yeah. Um, which, and it's, you know, like you mentioned, it's, it's an impressive feat, um, at 33 years old to completely revamp himself. And that's also something that, you know, Oliver Perez garnered a lot of praise for that he was able to kind of recreate himself over and over again. And Shaw hasn't done it to quite that extent, but he, he's revamped everything. And especially that cutter, which he throws so, you know, that's, that's the real key. Um, to him being effective is, is that cutter and it, it's been sharper. Uh, he's throwing it harder. There's been more movement. And so when, when he has that pitch, you know, moving better than it really ever has, he's, you know, he's the best, he's been the best version of himself. And, and, and you know, I think, you know, some fans did not like, uh, seeing Brian Shaw enter the game in, you know, 2016 or 2017, but statistically, you know, he was, he, he was a, 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 a a, a strong reliever, a, a good reliever. He threw as as much as, as anyone else in the game. You know, he he was a real asset to that bullpen, and um, you know that's that, that's been even more so the case this season. Right. All right. Well, Ryan, unfortunately, I'm being blinded by the scoreboard, so I guess it's time it's time to wrap up here. Um, once again, this has been leading off a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Follow follow Ryan on Twitter to read all his work. At by Ryan Lewis. Um, also check it out on beaconjournal.com here. I am Ashley Bastock. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42. Um, until next time when we maybe talk about something else Angel Hernandez has done.